When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Like you look at sobriety and it's like in, within sobriety, maybe you want to get that one year chip or whatever. Well, it takes a year to get a year. So you're going to have to be as patient with yourself as you are persistent every day in making that the goal. I'm knocking doors down with stand-up comedian Josh Johnson. His new special, Up Here Killing Myself, available now on Peacock, is phenomenal. So tell me what's on your mind. Well, it just hurts, you know? When you're poor, all you want to be is not. <laughs> Laughter's a means to process. It's a way to exhale hurt. Like some people cry, some people scream, and I laugh. <laughs> Josh does some brilliant stuff in this special, intermixing not only live comedy on stage, but shots of him in therapy. It's just brilliantly done, masterful. We talk a variety of topics. It's entertaining, engaging. Josh is an intelligent guy you are going to enjoy. While you're checking knocking doors down out, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And if you get a lot out of this podcast, share with a friend. And don't forget the archive of interviews we have. Bam Margera, Brandon Novak, Kat Von D, Charlie Sheen, Edward Furlong, Kelly Osborne. The list goes on and on of amazing guests that have been on the podcast sharing how they have found purposeful lives. Speaking of purpose, how about a lifestyle brand with purpose? Purpose. 5150 LTM. That's right. Not only is it a lifestyle brand that can fit whatever it is you're trying to achieve in life, but they give back to the community. Right now, I am wearing my new 5150 hat, warm weather jacket. As well, I got my new 5150 joggers on that I like to wear around the winter time. And you, the listener of Knocking Doors Down, get 20% off every time you shop at 5150LTM. All you have to do is use the code KDD20 at checkout and get 20% off. And of course, I said it helps within the community. And how does 5150 give back to the community? Portions of the sales benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation. There are three amazing programs, the Race to End the Stigma, the Race for Autism, and the race to be drug-free. More on the Carlos Vieira Foundation, go to carlosvierafoundation.org. I am compelled to ask you, you know, because the the new special, which of people, you haven't caught it, it's all the reason to get Peacock if you have it uh, up here killing myself. Josh's special, it's phenomenal, uh, brilliant material, but also the interweaving of like the therapy sessions. Mm -hmm. That come from like personal, like going to therapy and like, hmm, 
there might be something here to pull the veil back and share with people. Yeah, yeah, because that that's actually why you see the framework that you see in the special is that it starts out with me in therapy and not really knowing how I feel about something to ending with me on stage talking about it, not only knowing how I feel, but like able to share it with people, like give it away in a sense. And so that's why we mirror that with using the interstitials of like little snapshots from therapy and everything. What what was the inspiration behind that? Was it an aha moment for you or did you just see other stuff that, that kind of inspired? It was a bit of an aha moment because basically I was in a situation where I was, you know, going to therapy at different points in my life and everything. And um, there was one time where I was I was talking about something. I don't remember what I said, but the the person that I was talking to said, like, you don't have to entertain me. Like, you don't have to be funny right now. And I was like, oh, and it was like such a it's such a second nature thing that I just I even realized I was doing it. I even realized I was trying to, like, soften the blow through being like and then then right? and and so then, you know, I feel like um I feel like from there I was like, well, stand up in and of itself is not therapy. I would never, I would never suggest someone do stand up in lieu of going to therapy. You know what I mean? So yeah. I feel like they're, they're two halves of the same coin, but like with either half, that coin isn't a coin. So to me, it, it felt appropriate to use the, the structure of both to complement the other, you know? And I felt that as someone that has, you know, sat there on the couch or the chair or whatever. I very much felt, I felt in it with you. I felt as, as the therapist and I don't want to give too much away. I want people to be revealed in the special, but you know, in the way you, you close it, um, making reference to, to your mental health, that if you didn't have this, that you may not be here. And, yeah, you know, yeah. it really ties into the, to the name, but it was done in such a beautiful way that it held the duality I'm like, oh, I'm the viewer. I'm I get to be the audience member, but I also get to sit in the therapist chair at the same time. And, and yeah, that's, that's where the tears started to roll for me. Like oh, I, said. I feel you. No, yeah. I appreciate you. I appreciate you watching as well. You know, it, it, we've been getting a great response. So I'm very thankful for that. You know. Yeah, it's it's brilliant work. Um, you do make some references though with with childhood stuff, and I, so it made me very curious about little Josh growing mm-hmm. up like it, you know as a guy that did acting and wanted to do stand-up but never had enough belief in what sat up here I'm, I'm just really compelled to find out how you got to doing what you do i mean i think that comedy was definitely this outlet because i did not have the best way of communicating when I was younger. I didn't, I didn't, I don't think when I was talking to people that I was always giving off, um, either confidence or like, a <laughs> or cognition, I guess. Like, like, I feel like I was like hard to understand and I, it was hard for me to put into words what I wanted to say. And comedy was sort of the thing that funneled all that and made me a better communicator and a little bit more empathetic, have more understanding, try to, um, shape what I'm saying for who I'm saying it to, because I think that the best comedy is, in my opinion, universal. And so I still appreciate and respect when people want to speak to specifically who they're speaking to. But I think that there's a real power in making something relatable to everyone involved, even if they are never going to experience it or haven't experienced it. Um, 
So for me, you know, when I was little, I, yeah, I, I just didn't feel like I had a ton of friends and I didn't, um, I didn't really know how to talk to people. And I may still not know how to talk to people, but at least now they're like enjoying me not knowing how to talk to them. Um, and so, you know, the, the whole project really rounds out and feels like it is such a, a great benchmark for where I'm about to go career wise. Cause you know, the directors, like my childhood friend, um, I went to Jacob Minacci with the concept early on and he was the one that um, not just directing, but in a, in a producing role as well, sort of made sure that this vision of, of jumping from therapy to stand up was, was easy to communicate and was very clear and stuff like that. So I really couldn't have done the project without him. And, uh, I think that for the most part, I look back at childhood now and, and I feel like I had a great childhood in the sense of, I always knew people loved me and I always knew that there was a level of, um, there was a level of opportunity given to me that a lot of other people didn't have. You know, I, I went to, I went to schools on scholarships, you know, I, I, I got to meet people who would later help me in, in, in ways to, um, like secure our even more opportunities and stuff like that. So I, I look back on all that time as like being essential, every, every part of it, even the unfortunate parts as, as being a, a part of what makes that mold of uh, who you become as a person. So I think that for the most part, you, you get a good sense of, of who you are by looking back. And I, I feel like I look back on a lot of things with fondness, even if I don't love, you know, my old neighborhood or anything, or if I'm like, Oh, this is bad. Like I, I recently had to, had to go back to Alexandria for a funeral and just looking at like, it was bad. The parts of it that I was in when I was younger were bad. And they're like horrific now. Like you, you, you drive through and you're like, this isn't America. There's yeah. no way this is America, right? Yeah. And and I think that it does give uh, it gives me a, a sense of uh, groundedness and like how can you look back on something with fondness that's like so um, so many mixed parts, you know? Yeah. But but it is just how I feel, you know. So it's like it's not it's not as if I have to struggle to feel that way, or if I have to look on some bright side. I'm like, no, nah, you know, there are parts of the the town, and there were things going on that were horrible and horrific. But also, you know, I think that most most of uh, uh, the cool things in in life are warped in some way. So I don't look back on it as like. Oh man. I mean, I definitely look, I don't go home that much. Like I don't go, <laughs> but, but I still, when I have these memories or when I think about childhood, I think that I needed every aspect of growing up to become the person that, that makes the type of comedy that I make. You know, I think that without that, even if I were doing comedy, I'd be doing something very different. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? 
Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. I, I think that really shines through in, in, in your voice and in your approach. Um, I mean, because <laughs> there was so much relatable too. I am going to spoil one thing. Uh, yes, when we're younger, Josh, that is the hardest our dick will ever be as a middle-aged yeah. man. You know, Isn't it crazy? It's it like, is. wow, wow. <laughs> I used uh, to hurt. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, people, you'll have to listen to get more into that. But it was one of the things that caught me because now as a middle-aged man, you know, uh, when I was a young dude, that thing would stand up if the wind blew right. Yeah, and yeah. You know, and if a girl just brushed against you now yeah. as a middle-aged man, it's like, okay, this takes some effort. I've had, you know, improve, keep my diet good and yeah. exercise. And it, it really just showed that humanity of the cycle like we go through with life, yeah. this, this process, this shift. And it made me reflect on my mature you know, as much as you can call me mature, I mean, I stunted my growth with alcohol for about 15 years. So, uh, but, but really in a committed relationship now to look at sexuality different, it was mm -hmm. a, a brilliant way of putting this reality out there of life. It gave me reflection upon myself. I get you. No, I, I mean, I also appreciate that people are resonating with like a certain aspect each time. Like when I talk to people about the special, um, there are some people that really connected to me talking about not having money. And then there's people that connected with, um, the, the therapy portion. And then there's people that connected with like just one random joke in there. And so I think that the, the overall expression of it and, and what I'm excited to do in the future is to create more frameworks like that, because I think that stand up is beautiful art form. But I think that having um, having a situation where it is just someone on stage doing their best jokes for an hour is going to start to only work if one, those jokes are like incredibly exceptional to where you need to hear the next one and the next one, the next one. Or if someone's just stupid famous, like if someone is just stratospherically famous where you're like, this is a star I'm watching, then I think people will tune in and you could just talk for an hour and it's fine. But I think that in, in order to move the overall art form forward, there are going to need to be these frames that people see their hour in or their message in. And I think that playing with themes and mo just motifs and stuff like that is going to become the the next way to cut through because there is more stand up than ever, which is both a, a beautiful thing and a terrifying thing as a, as a comic, because sure. Now you have, uh, now you have more access than you've ever had before to reach audience, to make fans, to speak to people, but you also have more competition than ever before. So Whereas in the 90s, it's like, okay, if you couldn't get on Johnny Carson and you couldn't get on Letterman, then like you're going to have a tough time kickstarting your career. Now it's more like, okay, well, you have, let's say you have uh, 250,000 followers. That's a good start. 
it's like, wow, start just yeah. like back in the nineties is like, wow, you did Carson. And that's the start. Like there, you know, a career is sort of never ending in a, in a, in a sense, but it can be daunting to, um, to be engaged with it in a way where everything is not the last thing that you'll have to do. And I think some people welcome that and some people are really terrified by it. But I think that frameworks and, and being able to speak to people in a way that's very specific, um, is going to be a real way to to stand out as we go forward yeah i've personally as a, a fan of comedy and it was not one of those kind of escapisms you know growing up in a home of addiction as well you know i i had parents parents of the, the late 70s and 80s man they just let us look at whatever shit we wanted to i guess yeah, uh, yeah. But, you know richard pryor was there eddie murphy was there uh andrew dice clay uh, George Carlin, who for me is is hard to beat uh, on any given day, um, you know, so many of those those guys it w was these these different you know, Paula Poundstone, still probably my favorite female comedian. I think she's just brilliant. They, mm -hmm. they just had these these ways of it's it's like sharing yourself, but yet learning how to amplify it in, mm. in a really interesting way. And and I pulled from that with you. Um you know, there was some some stuff where it was like, man, Josh is just telling it like he sees it right here. Oh, well, thank you, man. I mean, I think that the thing about Carlin that's going to make him this uh, uh, sort of like I iconic and like aspirational comedian to to people forever is the fact that he was able to speak concisely enough that you understood what he was saying, but he was able to speak broadly enough that what he's talking about will always exist. Unfortunately, because some of what he was talking about was like how the world is broken. But I think that outside of just some, <laughs> some like Zen, like level of utopia that we reach that we never thought that we would, I think that there's no, there's no way that his words will never be relevant. And I think that when you speak about things that are ever present like power uh, people's relationship to government people's relationship to each other it's like those are always going to be things that we tangle with and so not to obviously not to copy carlin or anything but i think that if you speak as broadly as possible with your point of view you will come you will come to a more universal place where people can understand what you're saying and there's a better chance of you being able to succeed in making that um in 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 making that sort of body of work last for for long beyond your lifetime you know like as comics we only exist for technically for the hours that we put out you know like you could hear about someone that was very very funny but they never recorded an album and they never um, even self-recorded a special and it's just their friend telling one of their jokes. That's all that comic is to you. Yeah. So, you know, we obviously, there's no comedian, uh, dead or alive yet who has been able to clock in the number of hours that, that would suffice to like fully show an arc in a career and a maturity throughout a journey in comedy. But I think that Carlin is, has done a phenomenal job with the albums with the specials with the books that we all have a sense of what he what he would think and what he was like at least as a stand-up 
And so, you know, I, I think about that a lot when I think about what I'll look back on as a body of work. No, very well put. I, I, I stumbled upon a Instagram reel or something with them the other day and talking, um, about some of those premises of, of he just stopped giving a shit about society as a whole and the, you know, the, the planet pollute, look, the planet's going to outlive us, stop, you know, but it was, you know, about touching the individual seeing before the dogma, the religion, the governmental systems hit them, you know, seeing that universe within their eye. And there was something really, you know, he says very freeing and it helped me kind of be a little bit more free and in, in doing what I do for a living in, in the addiction recovery community primarily, but mental health as well. Um, so just being, hey, if I can connect with that one person and there's something that can resonate here, that's a really beautiful experience that that when it's genuine, I've started to realize some people never get that because they're wearing a mask. Like you were saying with the therapist that was like, you don't have to entertain me. You can be genuine you. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that the people who entertain us the most are people that make it feel like it's not a show. And so I think that you see the people who are really, really great at comedy or performance, whether it's acting or like spoken word or something, they end up making it feel like an experience that you're having with them rather than something that they prepared for you. That's like been premeditated or something. Yeah. How did uh, you, you brought it up there a little bit ago, the, the, somebody mentioned the, the growing up, broke poor whatever term you want to use how do you think that really framed you for i mean comedy's tough man it's 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 tough in itself let alone you know you're getting to the point you're hitting the road headlining clubs you know specials out there how do you navigate that and and maintain your mental health what you know what do you do for you I mean, I do, I do enjoy doing it. So it's not as if it feels like a chore or feels like somewhere I don't want to be while I'm up there. I've been very blessed that from the moment that I started, I've, I've just wanted to do it more and all the time and stuff like that. There are definitely days where the body is screaming fatigue and, you know, but once you're actually up there, you're having a good time. Um, but I think that for me, you know, I, I think that because of my relationship to it and how I still feel about it right now, it doesn't feel like something I need to have any form of escapism from. It sort of is my escapism. So then, um, you know, I, I think that one, I do, I am having a lot of distractions and I'm trying to, to even manage those, but I guess some of what I do is some of those distractions, whether they be social or playing video games or whatever. But I think that, um, I also just find that I'm still so curious about it that that I don't need those breaks yet. I think that day will come where you're just touring so much or you're working on so much that you just want to like, all right, I just don't want to be around this for a minute. I need to take a break, whether it's like doing a few less sets a week or um, postponing uh before i go on another tour or you know whatever that is i'm i'm sure those days you know they they'll come but i think that for now it's like oh i had this idea it'll be fun to try it tonight and so i don't necessarily think about my breaks away from stand up as much um 
but I do engage in other things. Like I watch a lot of fighting. I think that like boxing and MMA are really uh, fascinating sports because they're they're a lot like stand up to me where they are this like loner sport but you still need a team so the every one of these fighters no matter how famous they are no matter how good they are they have an incredible team around them who doesn't usually get the credit or the glory unless they win and then they thank everyone individually and you're the same way as a comic maybe you are up there all by yourself being funny being smart whatever um, but the, you have a wealth of experiences and people who, for better or worse, have impacted you to make you the performer or the comic that you are. And so I watch a lot of fights and I and I also look at it as something that I would never want to do, but I'm very appreciative of the effort that those people are putting in. Like, yeah. I really respect everybody who's ever entered a you know a sanctioned bout it's just like wow that's terrifying but also you know you're 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 building up a skill to put the skill to the test and you know in a much in a much safer way you're doing the same thing when you perform is that yes you've worked on these skills maybe you've worked for hours on an impression of a person just to do it for two minutes in one joke and no one's gonna know how long it took you to get this person down right and i think that i think there's something really great about that and i'm thankful as someone who is not an athlete i'm very thankful (laughs) that uh that with what i do and what any artist does or what any um academic does anyone who is not doing something physical you ideally just get better with age and time whereas an athlete you, you know, the clock is running out on you from the minute you start and you have to pray you don't get any injuries and you have to pray that the right scout is there that all the things fall into place whereas with with um with something that is artistic all you have to do is work on your output and give it to the people and eventually uh, either enough people on aggregate or just the right individual sees your work loves it and and uses that to lift you up um so I'm, I'm very fortunate that that I have the path that I have. And I'm very thankful. And so I engage in things that hopefully continue to make me thankful. How growing up, you know, there's a lot of people that listen to this that that through their their struggles, be it mental health and or addiction, um, you know, they reached out about money struggles and things like that. And I, I went through my own, uh, you know, when I started my recovery journey. Uh, divorce and everything, all the shit that can dilapidate your income. Um, how with you growing up, you know, in, in a low, lower economical class status, whatever it is, now when you're doing this, how how do you really keep, I don't know, some people can go one way or the other. Like, I'm starting to get money and blow it all or, you know, really get a path of understanding that, hey, things can come at certain times because you, you've got a really level head about you. I got to ask, too, about the never having a drink or drug a little bit later on, but I want to kind of share your perspective. I think that for the most part, one of the things is that it's not going to usually feel good to make a good decision. And I think that that's that's something that doesn't get drilled into enough people when you're young or when you're struggling with something. You doing the right thing doesn't really feel like anything. You doing something wrong probably feels good short term and then feels bad long term or whatever. But you doing the right thing, you being like, all right, look, here's how much I have in my account. 
I'm not going to take an Uber. I'm just going to take the bus home and it's going to take longer and it's going to be annoying. And maybe the bus is going to be late, but like, I'm going to go ahead and save this 25 bucks and I'm not going to take an Uber home because if I was in the Uber, all I'd be doing is playing on my phone anyways. I can play on my phone on the bus, right? That thing, decisions like that over time build you up to a better place than you were previously. And that's also considering that a lot of things in life need to go right. So then you have to make sure that at the very, at the very least, you're doing everything you can do because the world is not fair at all. Your, especially when it comes to finances, the deck, even in America, richest country, blah, 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 the deck is stacked against you, whether you are black, white, Latin, anybody, Asian, anybody, the deck is stacked against you because we live in a system now where even the things that are meant to uplift or help you or shouldn't even be checking for you. Like there's just this thing now that they've talked about for the first time in a while where the IRS pretty much admitted that they go after lower incomes more than higher incomes because higher incomes usually have lawyers that are going to make the audit take forever to where they end up spending the type of manpower where even when they get the money they don't get as much as they spend in the manpower whereas if you make twenty thousand dollars a year you're not fighting anything you're just gonna pay up slowly right even that it's like the thing that should literally be there to be taking taking the fair tax away from the people who owe it is still would rather bear down on people who are probably doing what they're supposed to do by the way yeah and just and it's easier right it's easier to mess with you when you don't have money it's easier to take advantage of you when you don't have money you you'll see these people hey any anybody who scams rich people goes down yeah all right anybody every every time you know, there, there have yet to be people who have so perfectly scammed a bunch of rich people the way you can scam a bunch of poor people and get away with it, right? So you, I said all that to say that like, when you are disadvantaged in any way, it's not fair, it's not the way the world should be, but the truth of the matter is that you're gonna have to almost be absolutely perfect in everything that you do. Can't be getting arrested, you can't be spending money frivolously. You can't, you, you have to be damn near perfect just to break even, just to get yourself started. That's not fair. It's not right. And I hate it, but it is the truth of the matter because while we're arguing about what's fair and whatever, there's people who are getting screwed over for absolutely no reason. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think that with money, I had to accept two things. I had to accept that it will never feel like enough. Because if you've ever worried about money, there's no amount of money that can take away the complete worry of money. So I've had to settle with myself that like, even if I were making a seven figure income and I'd still find a way in the deep, dark back of my mind to be like, I should be working a little harder just to, you know, just save up a little bit more, just get a little nest egg going, you know, whatever. <laughs> even when it doesn't make sense anymore, you know? And Chris Rock has talked about that as well. like millionaire and you're still kind of like yeah but it could all go away so i should keep grinding keep whatever right the second thing that i had to accept is that um my level of success my level of popularity or whatever whatever those things are for any artist for any creative they are not completely and totally up to you 
I'm the only thing that is up to me is what I create. So if I if I make seven specials in the next seven years and they all get different levels of um, of acclaim, that acclaim is not up to me. With they did this study, I can't remember what it's called, but it, they they basically created these scenarios for two groups of people that were like deeply unfair, right? Mm -hmm. So they had everyone in a room take a test, and they broke. It was like thirty two people, and the two groups were sixteen and sixteen, and they had everyone who took the test, turned it in, and then by group, which the the participants didn't know, but the the um, uh, experimenter knew that by group, he was giving everyone money for a right answer. And they knew they'd get money for a right answer on the test. He gave one half of the group twice as much money as the other group, and then asked them why they thought that they had more money. And the people who got more money were like, well, I guess the people in my group must have turned in our test faster. We must have, you know, must have done this, that, or the other. Everyone who got more tried to come up with a reason that they got more. Right. The people who didn't get more just called it out for being unfair. Right. And that's the way that the world is in a sense. When you're getting screwed, you can just see that the world is screwing you. But when you're getting stuff and maybe you haven't earned it, or maybe it did just fall into your lap or whatever, that's where people start to drink their own Kool-Aid and think, I must be so brilliant. I must be unstoppable. I must, I must, I must. And I think that that is the way in which people go left. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. think that I think that for the most part, keeping a level head is just remembering when things weren't fair for you one way. And now, hey, maybe things are going well, but maybe it's not fair for me in the other way. You know, there are plenty of funny people. There are, there are incredibly funny comedians that I count myself lucky to be able to do the same shows as, right? And we're all going to reach different heights. And, and some of that is going to be from hard work. Some of that's going to be through talent. And then some of that's going to be random. Some of that's going to be just like, no, people just like him, you know? Yeah. No, that's it. Thank you for sharing. That's incredibly thought provoking. I see that struggle a lot with people. So for like when I work with newcomers, Josh, that come into like, you know, AA, ego is still so prevalent, you know, mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, it's one of our, we, we have all these little sayings and isms in recovery. If you have, don't have any friends that have gone or are in recovery, but like, uh, you know, well, um, uh, you know, no outside solutions to inside problems and all these things. And a lot of it has to do with that ego check because, it, you know, I, I spoke this high school a couple days ago before prior to us recording. And, you know, I, I was talking on that topic with them of, of, of ego. And then I just said it blurted out, you know, life is meaningless. And this one girl, wait, what, what, what do you mean by that? I'm like, well, everything is the value we put on it, the story we relate to it. You know, I had some childhood traumas. I reframed the value on those things, literally to the point of those don't say anything about me. They say something about those people that when I was a child, I was a victim. As an mm -hmm. adult, I'm not. I got mm -hmm. the power of choice. I got the power to make my decisions. And like you said, some of them are freaking painful and that's mm -hmm. okay. You know, that's okay. Yeah. And I think that like the thing about ego that I think a lot of people miss is that the same way we're, we're more attuned to and 
used to the type of ego that says I'm the biggest and baddest in the room. I'm the best. It also takes a lot of ego to say I'm the worst. I'm the worst person that's ever lived. I'm so mean. No one's ever been as bad as me. I'm the baddest person that's ever lived. And I'm I'm so not worthy of love. I'm, I'm the most unlovable person ever. It's like you're still working in the superlative that that singles you out from the whole of humanity. And it takes a lot of ego to think that you're the worst person who's done the worst things and is the most unlovable. It's like both of those things are equally untrue, that you're the best person that's ever lived and that you're the worst person there could be. But it, yeah, but some of uh, some people, and I was stuck in it because it, it wasn't a drinking problem, it was a thinking problem. Uh, I I had to... My whole identity was wrapped up in that story I created for myself. And yeah. I'm sure you see it with people that, you know, I haven't been around entertainment myself, primarily music for over 20 years. I mean, saw it so often, so often. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the same thing that creates destroys in that way of, of, of mindset where you do see incredibly successful people that have the mindset of like, no, I have to be, I mean, I think that once again, to go back to fighting, it's like, yeah, I would hope you think you're the best fighter to get in there and fight someone. I would hope that you're almost operating on a level of delusion or else you're just signing up to get beat up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, both of them are going to say, you, you watch any pre-fight press conference, both of them are going to say, I'm going to whoop him. Y'all won't recognize him. I'm going to rearrange his face, whatever, 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 right? And then one of them happens to be right. <laughs> but they still both need to believe that going in. And that's that the, you know, the power of self-belief will control how you control your life. But it, but it can't, you know, it can't make things true that simply aren't right. it just is 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 a very powerful tool that really um i look at it as something that i'm still trying to control in myself of of if i'm being reasonable and and i've i've, I've kind of given up on trying to be objective i think that that's a that's like a false narrative that a person can can be objective about themselves it's just impossible but i think that having as much perspective as possible on where i am and where i come from versus where i am now what i'm doing is like the thing that helps keep me um reasonable yeah do you think the challenge of an individual being objective with themselves through self-examination is they just know i mean there's a concept out there, this thing of soulmates, right? We're going to meet someone. They're going to be our soulmate. And I go, oh, okay, you know, all right. Mm -hmm. I've, I've done a lot of sex and love addiction work, guys. Sorry. No, your only soulmate is that person in the mirror. That's mm -hmm. it. No one's going to know you better. Do you think sometimes we don't hold an objectable, a, a standpoint of being objectable about ourselves? Because we know we, we've experienced us. Yeah, I mean, it's the same. It's the same way that when you start working out and you are going through a change, it's only the people around you that can see it because you get up with your body every day. So whether you're losing weight or you're building muscle or you're just getting leaner or you're or you're curving out, rounding out your shoulders through exercise, whatever you see yourself every day. So maybe after three months looking in the mirror, you can take stock and be like, wow, I think it's working. 
I think it's all happening. Like, I think all this hard work is turning into something. Or maybe you think that nothing has happened and it takes a stranger who maybe you don't even know that well being like, wow, have you been working out? Because like last time I saw you, you didn't look like this. I think that that works the same way emotionally. I think it I think it is is toxic and maybe a whole, at, at best a horrible idea at worst toxic to look to other people for all of that feedback that we need within ourselves. But I do think there are some things that only people outwardly can see because you're, you spend so much time with yourself, you're talking to yourself all day. So you're so used to your sort of think towards yourself that I think that, yeah, I think that it, it is, it is very difficult to reach some level of, um, of, objectivity with how you see yourself it, it, that's why i think it's impossible i think that even the even the best attempts at objectivity of and and not taking into account any sort of preconceived notions about something or any history you have with something is when you do not know two people having a dispute at all you do not know a conflict at all and you just get to look at the facts and unemotionally you know analyze them and give your opinion it's impossible to do that with yourself yeah. you have a very you have a very very vested interest in your success or your failure yeah. and if those things come or go you're going to try to make sense of it that's what our brain does whether it's a defense mechanism or whether it's um just a reflex your brain tries to make sense of everything in real time there's no way I'm going to be objective about myself, my career, my success. Things are going to come and go and I have to take them as they are. I'm definitely going to have my feelings about them. I don't want to make it sound like I've reached some level of Zen where I don't feel anything. It's like, no, I get disappointed. I get excited. All the stuff still happens, but I know that anything that's meant for me is meant for me and nobody can take it away the same way that things that are not meant for me, I can't pull away from anyone, you know? Well, I, I think, thank you for sharing that. I think that holds a lot too. I, I've got two teenagers and trying to explain to them, sure, things are cool, but experiences will never be taken from you. Mm -hmm. No one can take that. Yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. And so it's, you know, hey, go go into this thing with a positive positive outlook but of course it's that uh you know i always butcher the french la pièce de resistance right the path of least resistance so you yeah, know yeah. and a lot of people want that that's just what we've been we've been so well marketed to as a society that that take this pill excuse me take this pill the pill for every ill whatever it is you want to lose weight here's this pill you want to gain you know we've just been marketed that these things that you know like Let's say I, you know, I text you after we talk here or something. Josh, I think I'm gonna want to start some trying stand up. It's like you're gonna be honest with me. All right, buddy, there, there's a road ahead of you. Sure, sure, and and probably a continuous one. I mean, you know, we're not seeing. I, I, I don't know. You know, Lewis Black is what damn near in his seventies. He's still out there on the road. He's still doing his thing. You know, it's yeah. So, so I think a lot of people, it's a lot of that finish line mentality and it's just not that way. 
And it's also not that way if you love something, you know, you don't, you don't get married so that one of you can hurry up and die. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? Like you, yeah. you, you get married to be with a person. And so, so I think that the, everything that you pointed to is not just like a marketing thing. It's not just a cultural thing. It's also biological. Like we have so many protections built up in our brains. Our brains don't know what year it is. So our brains still think that we're a version of caveman out there that needs to be protected that's why we protect ourselves emotionally that's why we that that's why it's hard to build a good new habit of like going to the gym or or whatever it's like those things are difficult and your body even your mind are trying to protect you from difficult things not because it wants you to be lazy or it wants you to not feel accomplishment it's because the road to getting anything worthwhile is a bit painful so you're going to build up those defense mechanisms and they kick in right like reflexes because your body and your mind are trying to protect you from something and they don't know that they're in protecting you. They are actually hurting you in the long term, because if you've been someone who never really accomplished anything in life and you're just sort of sitting on the couch or you give in to every impulse or something that all feels good. It all it all feels like we cannot lie to people and say that that sort of thing does not feel good in the short term. But looking back at your life or looking at where you are in life from those decisions is never a good feeling. And it leads to more depression or more um, more problems than it solved in the short term. You know, so we there's a lot of things that you're fighting on the way to a sort of self-actualization on the way to be the person that you are. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and you, it, you know, it's that, that reward system. I mean, you, you nail it, you know, and it's like when I got to my heaviest of drinking, you know, somewhere between a 20 and 30 pack a night, you know, my reward system got further and further out there. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and I was not a person that could endure the, uh, you know, I wanted the reward on the front end, the consequences on the back end, as opposed to, you know, how you're talking. And I'm, been acclimating my life the last couple of years that hey some of this shit it's going to take you a while keep keep going you know mm -hmm. before those rewards start to come and they're a different type of feeling reward as opposed to pleasure it's replaced with joy yeah yeah i mean i think that's why you see even the even the strongest most savage dudes on the planet cry when they win a title is because it's like well it's a decades long dream it took injuries, surgery, recovery, hard work, getting beat up, maybe losing some, maybe you, maybe you win a couple, but then things don't work with the promotion. They're not being fair towards you. You finally get there. It's like, hey, I'd be bawling. This is a thing that you don't even know if it can happen. It takes an, an incredible amount of self-belief to the point of delusion almost. And it takes enough work to back up that self-belief to where it's actual self-belief and not just cockiness or arrogance or something. And then it happens. There's no, there's nothing like that thing. And I think that even when you're chasing sort of like menial highs, you're chasing a feeling that's like that, but you can only experience that over a long, long period. It's almost like the way that the body works with with proteins and fats and salts and sugars and all that stuff. There are things that are soluble over time. And then there are things that you digest very quickly. The things that you digest very slowly will never work like the things you digest quickly and vice versa. So when you look at life and you look at your experiences that lead to, to, 
to goal getting essentially like that sort of line that you're talking about that threshold you were talking about yes there are shortcuts those shortcuts will never feel the same you know as as that long drawn out thing because you know some stars really have to align for you to get the big things that you want in life even if they don't seem big to other people i know people who all they wanted to do was start like a textile business mm. and it's like that is so specific that i think your dream is attainable like i've i've I, I don't know anything about it but from what i hear it's not as if people are clamoring to own a textile shop the way that they are clamoring to be influencers right. so already yes your level of competition may be lower your level of success potentially may be higher but you still have to get there over time you know yeah. and, and again i think it's back to the the path of least resistance right the influencer that's easy well, for a lot of them, no it's no it's not yeah you know? exactly takes a little more than just being pretty or handsome for the vast majority and the, the good ones the ones that yeah. last but uh no, it's funny you brought up fighting because we had uh, I had uh, uh, Terrence T Rex McKinney on. Oh yeah, shared some parallels and and in this studio Chuck Liddell that was really cool. Wow, talking with him. Oh dude, I gotta tell you that. So I'm I'm six three. I'm about one eighty five. I'm not a small guy. His fist next to mine, the thing was about twice the size, and, and it was a good reminder why I just stuck with jujitsu itself. Yeah. Never got in there. Yeah, yeah. Like, but uh, no, I'm with you. I've always loved that. I think that's why as a kid, like movies like Rocky were so big for me and those those kind of things that continual of that keep fighting. But um, another thing, and I want to touch on before we get to some random questions and leave you with the final thoughts here, um, is uh, am I correct? You have never touched a drink or a drug. Yeah, yeah. Was it life circumstance growing up where you did the stuff you saw that it stuck enough or is it just because one of my best friends, he is the same way. My dad asked him, you know, hey, Steve, you, you never drank? He goes, no. And I'm almost 40, 44, 45 now. What's the point of starting now? You know? Yeah, I think I think that for the most part, it was I didn't see. I didn't see anyone's best self. And that's not to say that there aren't things like, you know, people experiment with ayahuasca or they, they, they go on like these sort of um, mind searching journeys with some drugs, especially ones that are natural. Um, but to me, I just never saw the need. I never saw myself um, um, improving because of them. And I was having a fine enough time without them. So I just, yeah, it's like, it's, it's not even a judgment because it's like, it's just as simple as that. It was never like, oh, I'm looking around all these people at this party and blah. It's like, no, no, I just, I believe you're having a good time. You said you were having a good time. I believe you, but I, I just, I don't see it uh, for myself really. Yeah. Well, I, I commend you for that because a lot of people, and even myself in reflection with, with alcohol was kind of a peer pressure situation, you know, mm -hmm. like I, I grew up in, in the home of addiction. So it's kind of like I had enough pre-warning, you know, but anyways, we're not talking about me because I can get the whole psych up. My dad, I was talking with the other day, Josh, and I went, I think I fell into addiction to understand you better. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Not growing up wasn't close. 
um, wasn't until about my mid twenties, my dad and I got close and it's like, I have a very strong bond in a way that he can't with anyone else in my family, not my brother, not my mom, no, nobody else. Um, so it's, yeah. Anyways, thank you for sharing. I was curious yeah. about that. Yeah. The only, only other comedian that's ever told me that was Dane Cook. So, Oh, really? Yeah. But I think it was him growing up in, in a home. His dad, I believe, was an alcoholic. So I think for him, it was just kind of like, oh, I've seen where this can go. Sure, uh, sure. Uh, if uh, you want to follow Josh, check out the special. All the links are in the podcast description. Um, I've been doing a deep dive on a lot of your stuff on YouTube as well. So there's plenty of stuff to see what Josh is doing. Hit his website. If a tour is hitting your city around here, hopefully come out to Central California sometime soon so I can meet you in person and uh, and see a set. But uh, I want to jump into some random questions, all right? All right. Sounds good. These are just fun bullshit questions. Of course, random questions brought to you by 5150 LTM. Couldn't do the podcast without them. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. Uh, stranded on a deserted island, you got one movie and one music artist's greatest hits with you. What are they? Oh, okay. Um, I think one movie. I watched The Gentleman over and over again. I watched that a lot. So I'd say The Gentleman. I know that this answer will change every year, but I, I would say The Gentleman and I would say, um, um, Hmm. Music's tough, right? Music's very tough. I would say maybe Eminem. Okay. Yeah. Because he's he's actually worked with so many people that even within his greatest hits, you're getting a little bit of variety in there. If you could hit the road, uh, one comedian that maybe you haven't worked with yet, either sitting under the learning tree or just want, would want to tour with them, who would that be? Um, I think it would be... Chappelle because he's clocked more hours of doing comedy than I think anyone around right now like like people always have these like goat arguments but it's like think about how much he's actually been on stage that dude will go on stage and talk to the audience for three hours maybe imagine if you were doing three hours per set sometimes you'd you'd, you'd be like you I, how could you not be incredible at comedy and just to get a sense of what he's learned and and things that might give me look a slight shortcut so that it doesn't have to be three <laughs> hours per show you know what i mean yeah. Um, um yeah i think so yeah uh it's just one of the he's I, I don't remember if we were recording yet or not yeah we were where i said you know you're you made me laugh and cry in your special. There's only a couple other comedians and Dave was one of those uh, yeah. that had that power to, you know, I, I, I love people ask why I love comedy. Oh, you, is it cause you enjoy laughter? And I go, no, I think it's the lost art of the storyteller in, in sure. our culture that that's needed out there that, that 
you know, might bring you that different perspective. And so for me, I've always found so much value in that. Yeah, I'm with you. No, I appreciate it as yeah. someone who does it. Yeah. Well, you're good at it, man. You've you gained a new fan for sure. Oh, well, so. thank you, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, top three comedians for you in your taste. Um, it it's not it like it it almost doesn't even they, like the sort of Chappelle Carlin Pryor. It so goes without saying that it's like it's like not even fair to to. So I'll try to do some more contemporary names. Um, I think that um, let's see. I think that I I think that Kevin is as far as being a comedian and being grounded in both acting and business and all that stuff. I think that Kevin is is definitely up there. Kevin Hart. Um, I think. Let's see. I think Sarah Silverman does a lot of incredible work with intention, you know, so I think that that counts for a lot. She's not really just like doing jokes to like do jokes and then leave and go go back to life. She has a lot of purpose behind what she wants to say. And then. Um, hmm. I think uh, I, I think that for jokes, Mark Norman is like doing really like he he's essentially taking what people I felt like used to focus on and do in the '90s and bringing it to now, where it's like his his jokes are so tight and they're so uh, they're just so focused on getting to the funny part and and like elevating the the like craft of joke writing that I think that he's doing really special stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of not in the same vein, but uh, you know, it's, I mean, if we want to sit and talk like comedians gone too soon, you know, um, Mitch Hedberg was one of my favorites. And that's when you're sitting there talking about if you did, there wasn't a special or you didn't see him, uh, no one could do the jokes to justice. Like I've tried to tell his jokes to other people like, what the fuck are you talking yeah, about? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, there's just some of those, the, that, yeah, that beautiful nuance of here's a good one liner. Only you could do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any, uh, uh, if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Uh, I think it would be invisibility. So I know what people are saying in the room when I'm not there. Do you, would you really want to know that? I think, I think that I wouldn't want to know it. I'm sure my feelings would get hurt, but I would not want to know it for the sake of being petty, but I want to know it for the sake of giving all of my time and attention to the people who are the most genuinely caring about me. Yeah. I've never heard it put like that. Like when people have brought up, oh, I'd want to read minds. I'm like, no way that would, yeah no. sure. Uh -uh. sure i i know how deep and dark my mind has gone at times and it's like slap yourself out of it that i wouldn't want to know what anyone else's mind is let alone you know about me i don't know that's yeah that's that's scary to me um josh if you want to just drop any just any knowledge upon people maybe people that are struggling have you know um and thank you for being so not only through your art, but here, open and honest. This is a really great conversation. I, if we were sitting at coffee, I'd probably keep going for another couple hours. Um, you're just a brilliant mind. 
But anyone that's struggling maybe with these mental health things or other struggles that you you might want to share. Yeah. I mean, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I've, I've had a great time talking to you. I think that the struggling in the broadest advice I could give to anyone who is struggling with anything, whether it be um, addiction or mental health issues or where they are in their career, where they feel like they are in life. I think that is really important to have equal amounts of uh, patience and persistence with yourself. I think that not everything happens, you know, as quickly as we want. Nothing, very few things happen overnight that are well worth it. And, and it can feel like things are, are never going to eventually happen. But I think if you are patient enough and you give yourself enough grace, you're going to get there. And then I think that persistence is also key. I think paying attention, um, every day to how you would live your life in accordance with the things that you say that you want is the best way to get there. So those two ingredients combined lead to like, a pretty undeniable, unstoppable outcome, you know, like you look at sobriety and it's like in, within sobriety, maybe you want to get that. And I, like, I'm, I'm not fully familiar with it. So I'm not like, I'm not being flippant. I just don't know what it is, but maybe you want to get that thousand day chip or, or whatever that, that one year chip or whatever. Well, it takes a year to get a year. So you're going to have to be as patient with yourself as you are persistent every day in making that the goal, right? And then you want to go from there to five years. It's like, well, that requires a lot of persistence. It requires a lot of checking in with yourself and how you feel in certain situations and where you put yourself in situations and then all ending up in that uh, level of patience with yourself. If you do stumble and now you have to start all over again from zero, well, be patient because you're a human being like you're not a machine who's programming short-circuited or something you don't need to be thrown out it's it's that what you want takes time and is tough and so you're going to need to take time and be tough you know yeah josh johnson thank you so very much man uh the special course available on peacock uh right now up here killing myself i just everybody listening Go watch the damn thing, okay? Trust me, it's uh, you're going to be laughing and moved all at the same time. Just brilliant work, Josh, and thank you, man. Real pleasure. Thank you so much. You too. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities including addiction, mental health, and trauma to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about.